Well, good morning, everyone. I'm, th- I'm thankful to have my voice back this year. Last year I was here, and I lost my voice for about a month, really. I, I mean, I could talk, but it was just really rough. So, um, yeah, it's good to be able to speak. So um, I'll, just, I'll just pray uh, before we get started again. So, Lord, I thank you for the blessing of being able to be here, Lord. I thank you for uh, every person who's in this room today, Lord. And I thank you that you know each one, Lord. You have formed each one of us individually and uniquely. You know our, our rising up and our sitting down, and you're acquainted with all of our ways, Lord. So I thank you, Lord, just this intimate knowledge that you have of us. And I pray that you would speak to each one today, Lord, that you would use me, Lord, that you would speak to my own heart, Lord, and that your name would be glorified in this place. And I pray these things in the mighty, matchless name of Jesus. Amen. So I'm a little bit jet lagged, but um, that never stopped much, so, because the Lord is able. So um, some of you are new. I recognize an awful lot of you, but not everyone. So I'll just give a little bit of an overview of what I've been doing. Um, I spent a large portion of my life in New Jersey, but about, actually a few years back, I was able to get British citizenship through my mother, who's here today. And uh, I took that as a sign from the Lord that maybe he was opening a door for me to be able to go and serve him in a particular sort of way. And uh, so what I did about four years ago, it was January of 2015, I moved to Austria, and Calvary Chapel has a facility there. It's called the Castle, and it's a conference center, retreat center, that sort of thing. And I felt like the Lord was directing me there as an initial step, and from there he was going to open something else up. So I, I served there for a year. I helped out in a lot of different ways there. And while I was there, I kept running into um, Pastor Dave Sylvester, who is the pastor of Calvary Chapel in York, England. And they also have a Bible college there. So he invited me to come and visit in the fall of 2015, I think it was. And having a having a British passport was extremely helpful. I didn't have to worry about a visa or anything. I could just show up. So he invited me to come and, and join the staff there. So I moved there in uh, February uh, of 2016, it was. And when when you go somewhere and, and do something, you know, you have it in your heart, and the Lord seems to be opening a door to go something, whether it's coming to a new church or moving to a different city or moving somewhere else in the world. It seems like the Lord has a way of putting things on your plate if you have a heart to serve him. And and that's really all the Lord is looking for is a a heart that is inclined after him to serve him. So the Lord opened the door for me to move to England, and um, almost right away he started to put different things on my plate. I got involved in teaching in the Bible college. I'm one of the regular teachers on the on the staff there. We have about anywhere between 30 and 50 students, depending on the semester. Um, this past semester, we've had students from the United States, Israel, Germany, and some other places I can't remember right now. But there's usually like anywhere between five and ten countries represented as far as the students that are there. So it's been a great blessing just be able just being able to, to teach there at the Bible College. I also do... Um, go through the worship rotation, so I'm able to lead worship there and sometimes teach in the in the church at Calvary Chapel in York. Um, we have a prison ministry also. There's the It's called the Humber Prison. Uh, it's about 45 minutes from the church in York, and we go there on a regular basis, and we do uh, basically do a Sunday morning service. So we do worship 
and we do uh, we do a gospel message, and then we pray with the guys who are in there. And it's been a really neat time. The Lord got me involved in that early on when I moved to York. And last year, I actually went through the application process. Uh, there was a position that came up for a free church chaplain, and I went through the process. I didn't get hired, but it still it was great. I had a chance to preach the gospel before a, um, a panel in the prison that included a, a Muslim imam who is the um, actually the managing chaplain in that prison, but I had a, a chance to share, share the gospel there before some of the prison staff. And uh, I'll actually be... I'll be speaking in the prison on January 12th, the Sunday after I go back, and it's always a blessing, and I'm thankful to be able to do that. Uh, I'm also involved in an outreach ministry in the city of Hull, which is about an hour drive from York. It's a um, it's a great city. It's about a quarter million people that live there, and it was a a big fishing port, really. It was one of the biggest fishing ports in England. Uh, up until the 1970s, there was something called the Cod Wars with um, basically territorial dispute. The, England used to go up to the North Sea to really to off around the area of Iceland. And in, 1970, in the 1970s, they imposed quotas so they could basically no longer go up there and fish. And <clears throat> so Hull went into an economic decline. There's a lot of, you know, the, the things that you would imagine, poverty, drugs, alcoholism, crime, that sort of thing. But it's still this great city. There's a lot of good people who are over there. And the Lord, um, I don't have time to share that story this morning. I shared it, I think, maybe two years ago. But the Lord specifically directed me over there um, when I moved to the UK. And I started going over there, initially taking the train over. And I would just walk the streets and just pray and that sort of thing. And I met some people. I met specifically one person that kind of opened the door to start a small Bible study over there. And we go over there every Friday night. What we do mainly is street worship and evangelism. So I have a little um, amplifier. It's like half the size of one of those speakers. And we just start doing street worship on the street, start worshiping the Lord. And people walk by and have like students that come over with me and we do evangelism and, and share the gospel. And we've talked with hundreds of people about the Lord over the last few years. And they're, they're anything from atheists to agnostics to nominal Christians. And then there are some actual, you know, Christians who know the Lord that, that are over there. And uh, so we've been doing that. The Bible study is really small still after a few years. But um, we're having an effect as far as being in the city center and having a, a presence. The, the, the name of Jesus is being glorified through music and through the, just the, the people that we talk to through evangelism and that sort of thing. Just a couple of months ago, something different happened. And I've been praying about um, connecting with some of the other churches that are over there. And there's a guy, there's a church, it's called Jubilee Church. And a couple of years ago, the Lord directed me to get in touch with the, the pastor of that church, and I established a relationship with him, and he's very welcoming, very encouraging. They just started a prayer group a few months ago because they, they're actually looking for people to come to the, the city of Hull and plant churches because it, it's there are a lot of churches that have closed down. I think there's like 1% of the population that goes to church regularly, and they might not even be born again. They might just, you know, going through the, the motions and all that. So... Um, Back in October, I actually started getting together on a monthly basis with a group of ministers from home. We just pray for the city and just that sort of thing. And I'm excited going back just to see what the Lord is going to do. I mean, I don't know what he's going to do, but I know that the Lord is good, and I know that he loves people and that he wants to reach people. He wants to see people's lives 
transformed as they as they come into a relationship with him just the transforming power of jesus christ in a human soul and the holy spirit working and that's what the lord wants to do you know jesus in um getting a little bit off track here but jesus in john's gospel chapter four there's this wonderful um encounter that he has with a samaritan woman and you know says that he he must go to Samaria, and he, you all know the story, he goes, he finds this woman at the well, and he he gently brings her sin to the surface, you know, speaking the truth in love, and then he provides the answer that I am the Messiah, the thing that, that you're looking for. And then his disciples who had gone into the village, they come back, and they've, they've gone to buy food, and they say, Jesus, you know, they didn't ask why he was talking with the woman, but they just kind of wonder and all that. They say, Jesus, have something to eat. And, and Jesus says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. I have food, or my food is to do the will of the Father and to finish the work that he has sent me to, to finish. And then he makes this statement. He says, do you not have a saying among you that there are four more months and, and then the harvest after that? In other words, in, in the normal course of things, you plant a seed, the wheat crop, unless it's winter wheat, the wheat crop, you would plant a wheat seed, and, and four months after that, you have this harvest. And it's anticipated. It's this very scientific thing. Well, what Jesus says is that, you know, you have this saying that there's this harvest that's coming in the future. But here's what I have to say. I, I say to you that look at the fields, lift up your heads and look. The fields are white under harvest. The fields are white. And I believe that Wherever you go, wherever God has placed you, it may seem like a dry place, it may seem like nothing's happening, but I would say to you that there is a, a harvest field there, and oftentimes it's this harvest in an unexpected place. The, the, the disciples are going there with Jesus, you know, Samaria, yeah, we're, you know, we just, we're just kind of passing through, we're not going to do anything here, we're going to go and get food, but Jesus knows that there are people there who are ready because they know that their lives are empty, they know that something just isn't quite right, and Jesus sees that. And he has a harvest, I believe, for, for every one of us, and if, if we'll lift up our heads and look with a heart that God wants to use us to be these living vessels of his love, he'll show us that place, whether it's a workplace or if you're just walking down the street and, and the Spirit directs you towards someone. <clears throat> so, yeah, so the fields are white wherever we go. We never know what the Lord is going to do. Um, we never know what the Lord's going to do. I'll share a story. This happened just this past Wednesday. Um, I, I wasn't going to, last Friday was our last Friday in Hull, and I figured I'll wait till the new year before I go back. And then Wednesday, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to go to go over there, so I took the train over to Hull, and I'm walking around, kind of walking the normal places that I walk in, and just praying, and I'm like, Lord, what what? what am I doing here is, do you have something specific today for me to do? So I wound up walking through this mall. It's the St. Stephen's Mall. And sometimes I just walk through and just kind of come out the other side. And this this particular day, this past Wednesday, I go straight through and there's a back kind of um, exit. And I went through the back exit and I saw these um, crowds of people. It's, it was late in the day. It was like five in the afternoon. It was dark, and it looked like people were going home after work. So I just kind of I'm following these people, and I go down this one street, and I just start walking, and I, I look around, and it's this whole Kurdish neighborhood. You know, people from northern Iraq 
those parts, uh, the Kurds. <coughs> and there's a community there, and there's these Kurdish supermarkets and all that, barber shops and halal meat markets and, and all that. It's kind of e- exotic in some ways. You don't usually see that sort of thing. And um, so I see this barber shop, and I wanted to get my hair cut before I, you know, I'll, you know, come back for Christmas and that sort of thing. So I walk by this barber shop, and I see that it's empty. There's a guy sitting in there in the chair. He's on his phone or whatever. So I go in, and um, and so I'm getting my hair cut, and I started just talking to him about the Lord. And, you know, I asked him, you know, are you Christian? He said, oh, no, I'm Muslim and all that. And um, but he was a nice enough guy. His name is Hakim. You can pray for him. I don't know if I'll I'll see him again. I might, but because um, my hair keeps growing, so maybe I'll go back and get him, all that sort of deal. Yeah, yes, it was. Hey, thanks, Rick. And um, so I'm sitting there in the chair, and he didn't have a straight razor. He was just using the clippers and all that. So you know, so you have to be observant sometimes and think ahead. So. Um, and I started talking to him about the Lord, and he said, well, Christians, does it say that you can eat pork? I said, well, that's an interesting question. And I shared a little bit about Peter's thing. You know, Peter has this vision in Acts chapter 10 of the blanket coming down and that God has, has cleansed, basically, you know, the kosher laws. It, it's, it's okay now to eat whatever is sold in the meat market and that sort of thing. And then I said, but that's not really the issue that God's concerned about. It's not what goes into a man. He's concerned with the heart. It's, it's what comes out of a man, and it's about the heart that the Lord is looking to touch and do this work. And I shared that with him, and, you know, just a little kind of small talk after that, and then I gave him, I have this tract that I give out that has, like, the basics of the gospel and then our contact information for the Bible study over there. And uh, so I don't know what God is going to do with that. I don't know if you know, but I know, I'll tell you this, I know that he got a little bit of the gospel, and I know that some seed went into his heart. I mean, I, it went in, whether it gets plucked out or whether it grows, I, I don't know. But that's not our responsibility. You know, we go out, we scatter the seed. It, it's like a man scatters seed. How it grows, he does not know. But God is able to bring the increase. And I shared that just, I mean, just maybe because maybe you guys are out and about and you're living your lives and God has you in all these different places and maybe there's an opportunity where God wants you to open your mouth and, and just share what you're able to share. Not, not I mean, I'm definitely not um, articulate to a, a major degree. I, I'm an introvert and all that and I don't like speaking to people or in front of people and, and that sort of thing. But the Lord has called us to be his vessels and he's given us living water. He's given us, you know, an anointing from his spirit. First John, what is it? Um, 2.27. As for you, the anointing that you has, have received is sufficient, right? That I believe all Christians have a measure of the spirit and we're not always going to, you know, know ahead of time what we're going to say, but I found in my life, you know, not, not, you know, being the introvert and all that, but obeying the Lord and, okay, I don't know what I'm going to say, but I'm just going to try to share, you know, the gospel and, and all that. And I found that the more you do it, it's like a muscle that gets stretched, and God gives us the ability to kind of articulate the fundamentals and, and to make it take root in, in, in another human heart. In um, 
in the UK, they have a lot of charity workers. They have these, like the the British Heart Foundation or the RSPCA. They have it's the Royal SPCA. That's instead of the just the we have the SPCA here. They have the Royal SPCA. So they have these charity workers on the street who solicit donations. They have their clipboard and they have their their lanyards and all that. And so they try to stop you walking down the street. So I usually always, I, I, I stop and I, I listen to their spiel. And okay, yeah, yeah, I'd be glad to listen to you. And they say, oh, thank you. Everyone else has walked away. Thank you for stopping. And so I listen to them and, and then I tell them, well, look, my funds are committed elsewhere and all that. But have you ever heard the message of the gospel? And that's usually how I start out. And, and I, um, they're usually very happy to listen to me. And I just tell them like, the basics, you know, like, I start out, do you believe in God? And some of them are like, well, I don't know, evolution or, or whatever. But what I always do is I always take it back to Adam and Eve in the garden, and there was this original sin. And what happened from that event is that this thing in the human heart became fundamentally broken, and every other person that's ever been born has this thing that's broken on the inside, and that's our, our sinful condition. And, and people resonate with that because they know, and anybody out there, they know that something is not right on the inside, and it manifests in all different kinds of ways. And then I just tell them the gospel that, you know, God sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And I share them my testimony about, you know, coming up, growing up in a, a somewhat, relig you know, form of religion and all that, a mainline denomination, but not being born again and not having this transform transformation, transforming work of the Spirit happening in my life. And then accepting the Lord when I was 21 years old and, and just this new thing, the thing, you know, got, got fixed that was broken on the inside. So, Anyway, God wants to use us in all these different sorts of ways, and we just need to be sensitive to a little water break here. We just need to be sensitive to his Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so that's a, that is a little bit about what I'm doing. If you have any questions, um, I'd be glad to talk with you afterwards. Um, we had a Franklin Graham crusade, actually. In I have family over in Blackpool, which is on the west coast of England, about two-hour drive from York, so I've been able to connect with them a little bit. And um, there was actually a Franklin Graham crusade over there a couple of months ago, and um, there were 200 churches that got together from Lancashire, which is the west of the, west, the county to the west of York. And uh, so we were involved in that a little bit. Um, Anyway, I do have a message this morning, and it's about the gospel also. I don't know how much time I have, but we'll... Um, I can't... I can't. Oh, there it is, yeah. I'll just put a piece of tape over it. Um, <laughs> my paper. So, um, Acts 17, and really what I want to look at is, is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and... Um, Acts 17, and there's this church that gets planted in Thessalonica. Um, I won't bore you with too much geography, but Thessalonica was about 100 miles west of Philippi. Um, it was connected with Rome by the, by the Ignatian Way, and um, it was a, a port city, and it was your average, you know, it was a somewhat wealthy city in the Mediterranean world in the days of the Roman Empire. Pagan worship, you know, throughout. We look at the world today, and oh my God, they're doing all this stuff. And, I mean, it's the same then. It's, it's a pagan, godless context that they were in, and it's a pagan, godless context that we find ourselves in. So it doesn't matter 
you know, all, all the more fertile soil for us to give the message of the gospel because people are empty, people are lost, and, and they know it, and they're looking for something real. And if we can give them that real thing, well, hey, that's a good thing. So, um, so Acts chapter 17 We'll just look at a couple of these verses in chapter 17, and then we'll go to 1 Thessalonians. It tells us, this is Paul and his traveling partners. They come to Thessalonica, and there was a synagogue of the Jews, and and Paul went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and reasoned with them for three Sabbaths, which is likely three weeks, demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. So he he went and he presented the gospel, and Paul, um, wherever he went, if you read through the book of Acts, most often his motif was that he would go into the synagogue because people already had a context of Judaism and the Torah, and he didn't have to start completely from square one. Um, Romans tells us that the the gospel is for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. So Paul would always go to the synagogue first, and that's what he does here in, in Thessalonica, and he used it as his starting point. He probably would have used passages like Isaiah 53, which is clearly messianic, um, and Psalm 22, where we see really quite clearly a, a picture of crucifixion and that sort of thing. So Paul, Paul probably would have gone to these scriptures and demonstrated that this is Jesus. You know the guy that got crucified in Jerusalem a few years ago, rose from the dead, this is him. Read it. Doesn't it match up? You know, so Paul would have done that some sort of reasoning along those lines, and it tells us in uh, Acts seventeen verse four, it says that after he's preached the gospel, <clears throat> it says that some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. So he's gone there, he's preached the gospel. And it has been effective. It has achieved its end. Some people come to faith. It tells us some of them believed. It says that there's a, a, a great multitude of devout Greeks who believe, and, and some of the leading women of the city also. And when we get into Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, it's going to tell us that Paul's going to say that, hey, you guys turned from idols. You turned away from idols to the, the, tr- the true and the living God. And um, so some of them believe, and there's power in the gospel. We don't understand, we don't understand how it works. Paul says that it's through the foolishness of preaching that God has chosen to save those who believe in the message. I mean, it's not a, it's not a super intellectual message. It's, it's you know, you're broken on the inside, but God's Son came, died on a cross, rose from the grave, and if you turn your life over to him, believe in the message of the gospel, you'll be saved. That's not an intellectual message. The Greeks were, you know, Jews look for a sign, and the Greeks ask for wisdom. We want, a, a, we want some wise message, something intellectual that's going to satisfy us. The Jews, oh, we want you to do a sign. Okay, do another sign. Okay, do another sign. Okay, do another sign. Do another one. Do another one. And it's the gospel, really, that has power in it. And so Paul rolls into Thessalonica, and he preaches the gospel. People come to faith, and there's actually this church that is born. 
And it tells us, it says, but the Jews which believe not moved with envy. I love this. I'll read the King James on this. It says, they took unto themselves certain lewd fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company, tough bunch. They gathered a company and set all the city in an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, uh, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason has received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar. They're breaking the law, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things, and when they had taken security of Jason and the others, they let them go. So the preaching of the gospel is effective, and it brings salvation, and people actually come to know the living God, but that's not all. It brings opposition as it disrupts the status quo. It brings a disruption. It's like if you are an unbeliever, you, people in the world have developed this sort of equilibrium where they can make sense of their life. It's like, it's like a plate that's spinning on your fingertip, and you found a way to rationalize the way that you live apart from God, and and you figure, well, hey, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I've never killed anyone. That's great. I've never robbed a bank. That's great. And all those things. But you still have this nature that's unresolved before God. And that's what the issue is. Someone comes and preaches the gospel to you. And it's like that plate that's spinning and everything is going smoothly. And it's like it gets tweaked a little bit and the plate starts to wobble. And people don't like it when you know, their their life is called into question and that sort of thing, and there's this this moral imposition that they're now under, because if there's a God, that means that I'm somehow morally accountable to him, and people don't want to be accountable to anyone. So there's this opposition that uh, comes to the preaching of the gospel as it disrupts the um, as it disrupts the status quo. And there's this kind of violent reaction that happens. And we see that over and over again through the gospel and or through the scriptures, through the book of Acts. And it's interesting, Jesus makes a statement in Matthew's gospel, chapter 11, and he's talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist um, brought a message, and he said in, in Matthew chapter 3, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus said the same message in Matthew 4, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. When Jesus sent out his disciples two by two in Matthew 10, he, they said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And the message, there's a, a consequence that comes with that sometimes. And we know in, I believe it's in Matthew 4, John is thrown in prison because it tells us that he had rebuked Herod because Herod took the wife of his brother Philip, Herodias, and for that, Herod put him in prison. So there's this consequence that John suffers. And Jesus makes a statement about that. John is in, in prison, and, and he's saying, he sends his disciples, and he, and he says, are you, Jesus, are you the one that is the Messiah, or do we wait for another? Because John is figuring, hey, I, I had this thriving ministry, and, and now all of a sudden, boom, I'm in prison, and what's going on? And Jesus, are you really going to establish your kingdom and everything? And Jesus says this, um, Jesus gives this reply to John's disciples when they come 
and they ask, and he says, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are, are raised up. The poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. All the, I am exhibiting all the signs of, of the Messiah as per Isaiah and other places in the scripture. You know, the, the dead are being raised, the blind receive sight, the lame are walking and all that. Blessed, John, you who are in prison, blessed are you if you are not offended by the way that things are going down. You know, by the way that things are falling out, blessed if, are you, trust in me. You know, you're in prison, hey, you've, you've done everything that I've asked you to do, John, and, and that has caused you to be in prison, but there's great reward coming for you. And then Jesus makes this statement later in um, Matthew chapter 11. He says that from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. And I was thinking about really that, that verse over the last couple months. The, from the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent are pretty much coming against it forcefully. And, and why? What does that all mean? And different commentators have different things to say. But if you think about it, you have the Old Testament scriptures, and then you have this 400-year period of silence, the intertestamental period, and, you know, yeah, the, the salvation was promised in the Old Testament, but everything goes quiet, and it's kind of like life is just moving on. And all of a sudden, John the Baptist comes on the scene, and he says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, it's imminent. It, 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 when he said that, Jesus was alive, and Jesus was getting ready to get baptized within a couple days from that. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And... So why is it from the days of John the Baptist that, that violence has come against the kingdom? Well, because everything is moving forward in God's plan. The, the kingdom of God is imminent. Salvation is here. The Messiah is here, and he is on the scene. And that triggers this kind of violent backlash from the enemy and the forces of darkness. So that's why Jesus said that from the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent are coming against it. And we see violence, the violent coming against it here throughout the book of Acts. We see it in Jesus's life, obviously, because he's crucified. And we see it in the life of the apostles. We see it throughout church history, all the way down to the present day, that there is this aggressive satanic opposition that comes against the church. But what did Jesus say? Well, he said that he said that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. They will not prevail against it. So yeah, there there's this there is this attack that's coming and you know you can look at legislation um Europe and the 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 UK definitely a lot more liberal than I mean we think America a lot of things are happening here. They're a couple years ahead over there in terms of the legislation that's being passed and 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 that sort of thing. Um so there's this opposition, yes, but the kingdom of God is expanding. In the book of Daniel, you know, it, it tells about the kingdoms of men. Nebuchadnezzar has the dream about the, you know, the four kingdoms, and then the, this fifth one that, that was unlike all the others. 
And then it says that he he watched, or Nebuchadnezzar watched Daniel's interpreting, and there was a, a rock cut out without hands, and it, it struck the image on its feet, and pretty much it dissolved into chaff, and it was blown away like the chaff of the of the the summer threshing floor. So that is, and then the kingdom of God filled the, the whole earth. So, you know, there's opposition that's coming against the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God is growing and God is working and he's, he's, um, he's victorious. So, um, Thessalonica, the gospel comes to Thessalonica. What, what time do we end normally? Like around 25 after. Okay. Okay. All right. Great. Um, Yeah, so they came to Thessalonica, and the gospel was preached in Thessalonica, and converts were made. And then there's uh, this, those, those who, don't, who, who aren't converted, there's a riot started that forces Paul to move on. But there's this church that's born, and it seems within a very short period of time. So uh, Paul leaves Thessalonica, he moves on to Berea, but he always carries with him this deep concern for the churches that he's planted. So at some point he sends Timothy, and we presume Silas, to go uh, and check on the things in, in Thessalonica. And so let's look at, if you have your Bibles, turn to, to Thessalonians chapter 1, and we'll try to do, there's 10 verses in this chapter, it's not a very long chapter. <clears throat> we'll try to pull some things out. <clears throat> Okay, so Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of, Thess- of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the introduction, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Paul is the author who's writing the letter. Uh, Silvanus or Silas would be his Latin name uh, or Greek name rather. And Timothy are included because they're his close co-laborers. They're the missionary team who brought the gospel to Thessalonica and the church was planted. The letter, the letter is addressed to the Thessalonians. Um, this physical location, we know, obviously, we've heard this many times, that the church itself is much bigger. It's this thing that God is doing, the church of Jesus. Um, he says grace and peace. You have to have grace in order to have peace. And this is Paul's standard New Testament greeting. He says in verse 2, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. So, So Paul here is giving thanks. We give thanks to God that there's one more place on the earth that the gospel has gone and has taken root. There's this one other place, and if, you know, Paul's life, he spent his life traipsing around the Mediterranean world, bringing the message of the gospel. And Thessalonians, this is one more place that he can say, thank you, Lord, that your spirit has gone here and, and you have raised up a church. Thank you. And so Paul says, we give thanks to you. And there's a demonstration of Paul's active <clears throat> prayer life on behalf of those whom he has evangelized, the, the ones that he has led to the Lord, now he prays for. And you can imagine Paul saying his bedtime prayers, 
every night and bless this and this. You can wonder why he never got any sleep because all the people that he knew and was praying for and that sort of thing. Um, he goes on to mention three things concerning the Thessalonians. First of all, there was a work of faith, and a work of faith is something that God puts in front of you and calls you to, and it's something that you invest yourself into, even though you may not presently see the full picture. That's why it's a work of faith. You know, a work of faith, you believe that God wants to do something, is doing something, but you don't have all the all the blanks filled in, but you know that the Lord is in it, so it becomes a work of faith. And, and pretty much many things, if not everything that we do in our, in our Christian lives, it's a work of faith. First of all, we believe in a God that we can't see, and we believe in a mission that isn't always clearly articulated, but we have his spirit, and he said that my sheep hear my voice, and we follow him, and he leads us into these works of faith. And so so often, it's not until after we take that step, and it's like, oh my goodness, that was the Lord. That was, you know, you're walking away from an encounter with someone, and oh, thank you, Jesus. And I was just going to walk away, and I would have missed that. And he has these things that he has for us, but we need to, you know, hear his voice and engage in this work of faith that he's called us to. We won't always see the full picture, maybe on, you know, especially not necessarily on earth, although sometimes he gives us these little windows. But one day we're going to be able to look back over time. I remember hearing Pastor Chuck Smith near the end of his life, a few years ago, I was at a conference, a missions conference actually in California, and he went through and he pretty much gave the history of his life in in about 45 minutes, something like that. And he said that, you know what, it all makes sense now. A lot of it didn't make sense when I was going through it. But he said, I can see now how the Lord has connected the dots and he used this thing uh, which opened the door for this thing, which opened the door for this thing. And there's this whole chain. It's this whole tapestry of things that the Lord is doing. And um, just... You know, a lot of things aren't going to make sense, but heaven particularly is going to make an awful lot of sense. You know, Paul says, now I know in part, you know, now now we see dimly through a mirror, right? And the mirrors that they had then, they were polished metal. It wasn't like the silver sprayed on the back of glass where you can see a pretty good, um, too good sometimes, reflection of, of, of reality. But, you know, dimly, it was just like a polished piece of metal. Oh, that looks like a little bit like a nose there or, or whatever. And, you know, we see dimly, we have this kind of idea that, wow, I think, you know what, I think the Lord is doing something. But then we'll see face to face. So so it's a work of faith. Paul also says that it is a labor of love. So it's not the sort of thing that you do because you have to. I'm talking about ministry and things that God calls us into. Um, it's not the sort of thing that you do because you have to do it, but it's a labor of love. It's a response of a heart spilling over with the love of Jesus. You know, it's a divine love response. We're saved, and, and God has called us into this relationship, and you have the love of God that is overflowing in your heart. It's spilling over, and it's a labor of love. I just have to go do something. I have to, you know, share the, the love of God with somebody. And it, it, it's a labor of love. It's something that God puts into our hearts 
to be involved in some sort of way. And he also gives us the gifts. He gives us spiritual gifts that, that we use to bless others in the body of Christ and, and in the world. Um, okay, so it is a, a work of faith. It's a labor of love. It's also a patience of hope. And maybe some of us know about patience and what is involved developing patience in our lives. It's just you get it by going through stuff and, and, and all that. So it's, it's a patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We have, all of us I'm sure, we have promises that are not presently realized in our life where he's told us something. And I mean the scriptures are full of promises that sometimes they seem like, wow, that my life appears to be contradictory with that. But it's not. It's, there, there's this patience that we're living in and there are promises that God has given us that are not presently realized in their entirety, but they will be. I mean, you, you read Hebrews 11 and it's a whole chapter of things that people did by faith. They believed in a God they couldn't see. And I mean, they subdued kingdoms. How do you subdue a kingdom by faith? I mean, but people did. Gideon, look at Gideon and, and, and um, David going after Goliath and all that sort of thing. So, so a work of faith, a labor of love, a patience of hope. And then he says in verse 4, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. So all of this, all the ministry and the things that we do for the Lord are done in light of the fact that we are his children and we belong to him. And that's the thing that empowers us. That gives us the, you know, it's like a king's signet ring. That was the authority of the king, right? And it's like we are his signet ring in a, in, in a sense. And we have this authority from the Lord that he's given us. For our gospel, verse 5, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. So Paul states here, he says, you know, the gospel didn't come to them in word only, but something I like to point out in this in this passage is that, but it did come in word. In other words, uh, there there is specific content of the gospel that does need to be articulated. I, I understand there's, you know, there's much to say about living out your faith and practice and all that. And, um, you know, it's been said, um, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. And I understand that. But, but there is a specific time to open your mouth and, and actually, you know, convey the, the, with intelligible words, the content of the gospel you know, that, that Jesus entered our world and died for our sins and, and everything else that, that is wrapped up in the message of the gospel. So, so the gospel did come to them in word, but then Paul says, it did not come to you in word only, but also in power. So the gospel coming in power, people, people deliver presentations all the time. I mean, you know, you can look on YouTube and you can figure out how to change a, you know, a, a part on your car or that sort of thing. There are a lot of useful videos and people giving presentations. But with the gospel, there's something else that should be going on at the same time. So, so Paul is here saying that the gospel didn't come in word only, but it came in power. So there was the, the moving hand of the Lord in bringing people to salvation. Paul tells us in Romans 1 that the gospel of Christ is the power of God to salvation. And 
Um, we see that here when Paul comes to Thessalonica. He brings the gospel, and there's power with it that brings about conversions. So the gospel came in power. The gospel also came with the Holy Spirit. And when the gospel is being preached, it's more than a presentation. The Holy Spirit should be at work in the hearts of the hearers. In John chapter 16, Jesus says three things concerning the coming of the Holy Spirit in relation to the world. It says when He, the, the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world uh, concerning sin and concerning uh, judgment and concerning righteousness, that, that there is a sin problem, that there is a judgment coming. Hebrews tells us it's appointed for man to die once and after that judgment. And then also that there's this right, righteous standard that we all fall short of. So there's the preaching of the gospel, but there's also that work of the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes, you know, the people that we share with, we have no idea what their history with the Holy Spirit is, but I can say that I believe that he's been working in everyone in the whole world. It's God's desire that none should be lost, that all should come to the knowledge of him. We know that not all are going to come, but that opportunity is earnestly presented to each one, and the Holy Spirit is at work in the heart of every person, bringing that conviction of sin and that there's a judgment and that there's a righteous standard. Um, we also know that in, in Romans that men suppress the truth in unrighteousness, so they you know, push that down and they deny it. And you can get to a point, Scripture tells us, that your conscience can be seared as with a hot iron, <clears throat> where you no longer feel that conviction of the Spirit, and that is a dangerous place to be in. But here, the, the, uh, the gospel comes with the Holy Spirit. A great passage in, in uh, when Peter goes to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, 11, somewhere around there, it says that while Peter was in this room talking with Cornelius and this other group of his friends and family and servants that had gathered, it says, while Paul was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on them. So there's this work of the Spirit that accompanies the preaching of the gospel. In, um, at the end of the book of Revelation, I think it's chapter 21, there's this admonition that John, the, um, the writer of the gospel, John who wrote Revelation, He's, he makes this, you know, it gives this invitation. He says, the spirit and the bride say come, and let the one who hears say come, and whoever wishes, let them freely take the water of life. So the, the spirit and the bride, the bride is the, you know, the bride of Christ or the church. So the spirit is saying come, the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, you need to come. The church is saying, hey, you need to come. And it's this message that's gone out into the world. It's the gospel coming through the church, but also being authenticated by the Holy Spirit. Um, so power, the Holy Spirit, and also the third thing, Paul says, that the gospel was accompanied by much assurance. And, and I was thinking about this. Well, much assurance of what? Well, much assurance that the message of the gospel is true, assurance of salvation of the believer. I remember when I accepted the Lord that I had this surety in my heart. John says, I write to you that you may know that you have eternal life. It, I mean, some traditions may say, well, hey, that's presumptuous to think that you're, you're, you're saved or that you know you're going to heaven. Well, no, it's not. 
I write to you that you may know that you have eternal life. And so here in Thessalonians, Paul is saying that the gospel is coming with assurance. So there's something that's going into people's heart where like, wow, this is true. This is the truth. And there's this real thing that is happening in, 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 these peop- in the people's hearts in Thessalonica and wherever in the world that the gospel has gone out and people have come to believe in it. There's an assurance that accompanies um, the reception of the gospel. Verse 6 of First Thessalonians 1, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. And there's these seemingly contradictory things here that you received the word in, in affliction, but there was a joy that was present. And Jesus said before he left, right, in John 17, somewhere around there, he says that my peace I give you, my, the peace of God I give you, I don't give it the way that the world gives. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have, you know, all different kinds. There's no guarantees in the world. But there's a peace in the midst of that. And here, they have this, they receive the word of God in much affliction. We know, for, we know in Acts 17 that the city was set in an uproar by, by the Jews who did not believe. So the gospel came there and people received it, but there was this group who didn't receive it, and they started this uproar and all that sort of thing, and likely persecution involved. So, so the Thessalonians, they receive the gospel in the midst of much affliction, uh, but there's also a joy of the Holy Spirit that no one can take away from you. If you have it, if you have the real joy of the Lord, there's nothing that can take that away. It doesn't matter. I mean, it seems like the joy only increases sometimes. When, when the tribulation increases, the joy kind of goes up, it seems. Not always, but... Um, yeah, so they receive the word with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on in verse 7, he, he gives this kind of testimony to the authenticity of the Thessalonians' faith, this very real effect that, that it has. In verse 7 he says, So that you became examples to all in Macedonia, and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. We don't have to say how great you guys are. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So the gospel came to this group of people in Thessalonica, and Paul here says that they became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia. And back then, Greece was split up into Macedonia, I believe, in the north, and Achaia in, in the south, and they've become examples. The Thessalonians' faith was of such quality and authenticity that they were looked at by those in the, in the whole region of Greece as examples of what a Christian should be, an example of what the Lord can do in, in Christian lives and, and, and in a community. They, they have this thriving faith 
And it, it's happening in a context where much affliction is also present. But there's this thriving faith, and there are these examples. Verse 8, For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we don't even have to say anything. So the Thessalonian church, they received the gospel, but now it has become a sending church where people are being sent out as missionaries to other areas, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also to every place. They're going to different cities in the Mediterranean world and as the gospel spread in, in the first century. And there's this transformation. And when someone's life is transformed, that becomes a, a testimony unto itself. There's the, you know, the demoniac who was chained and, and with no clothes and all that. And he was just this chaotic person. And all of a sudden, we find that he's seated and clothed in his right mind. He wants to go with Jesus. Jesus says, no, go back to your people and tell them what God has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So this transformed life and the transformed lives of the Thessalonians, it becomes a witness unto itself. They themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. Paul, he talks about, you know, manner of entry while he was beaten from in Philippi and all that. We won't get into that here. But there, there's, there are these marks of an authentic conversion. An individual turns from idols and begins to serve the living and the true God. And that's what the gospel does when it comes into someone's life and they're, they're, born, they're born again. I remember as a new Christian... Um, reading one morning, Second Timothy two nineteen. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And there's this transformation, sanctification process that the Spirit does in all of our lives, but we have to cooperate with that. <clears throat> Verse ten, um, just wrapping up here, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So, so this is part of the, the message of the gospel, that there is a judgment coming. You know, Hebrews, again, we're appointed. Uh, it's appointed for man to die once, and after that there's a judgment. Um, but here he speaks about delivering us from the wrath to come. And, you know, we're born again. We're seated with him in heavenly places. So... In the end, I mean, this first chapter of, of, of Thessalonians, it gives a picture of what the gospel does when it comes into a community and this transforming work that it does. And, you know, there's power in the gospel. The fields are white. The Lord wants us to get the message of the gospel out. And again, it's just this sensitivity that we need to have. If we're sensitive to the, to the works of the Holy Spirit, he's going to use our lives and, you know, I think it's in, in Daniel, it says that those who know their God will do exploits. And, I mean, you know, Hebrews, Hebrews 11, you can read all that stuff. We know what God can do. So, so let's, um, 